My mind is not always, doesn't always know what's best for me and isn't, doesn't always have my best interest. And there are just like the way I can control, you know, the work I do or if I work out or if I'm a good friend or if I remember to send a birthday card or, you know, whatever it is. Totally. I can also like think about controlling or managing like the way I think. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Undefined. I am your host, Marissa Tashman, and I know it's been about a month. I'm excited to be back. I was taking a little break. I think the energy of the election was very overwhelming and the energy of the world, and I also had a lot going on in my second life as a lawyer, so I was busy lawyering. But I'm happy to be back, and I'm super, super excited to share my interview today with Jordan Sale, who is my best friend. And I've known Jordan since I was nine. We met in fourth grade. Jordan moved from St. Louis to Los Angeles with her family and started at the same school that I was in. And then we were neighbors for maybe eight, nine years for a really long time, but I might be getting the years wrong. Math is not my strong suit. So we were neighbors. We went to school together. We went to high school and middle school together also. And then we were both on the East Coast for college. Jordan was in D.C. after college, and then she went to Berkeley Business School, and now she is back in L.A. She started a company called 81 Cents that essentially fights for equal pay, and it's really awesome. She helps women and people of color negotiate for fair salaries, and she also has a full-time job working at an education tech startup, and she develops new products for them. That startup, I don't know if it's actually considered a startup. It might not be. I don't know like where the line is when something is a startup and not a startup anymore, but it's like a cool tech company and she develops new products for them. It's called Magoosh, and it's amazing that, I think it's amazing that she essentially has a full-time job and her own startup, which is really cool, and she's very mission-driven. We started doing this thing at the beginning of quarantine that we call SWS, Self-Work Sunday, or Self-Work Saturday, or Self-Work Any Day of the Week, but essentially in March, We met with each other, it started virtually, and then moved to outdoor in person. And then, I mean, now we hang out inside, she's like part of my little bubble. But we would talk and do some sort of like personal development exercise with each other and then talk about it. And it's really, our relationship is just very special. And I feel so grateful to have someone that I completely trust and can be myself with like I feel like I can tell Jordan anything and there's no judgment and she always provides such a unique perspective and she's not afraid to tell me the hard things or to tell me when I'm like not being reasonable which happens but then at the same time she like allows me to feel all of the feelings and I hope I do the same for her this conversation was recorded actually the day after the election results came out and I was in Palm Desert with her and we were staying at her parents house and we hiked Joshua Tree and then 
It was actually pretty funny. We hiked Joshua Tree. The election results came out. We lost service for like the next five hours after hiking or after the election results came out. We lost service and then we hiked for like, I don't know, the next five or six hours. And it was so nice to like let that just really sink in. And then I was with her family that night and we were celebrating and it was just truly an amazing, momentous day. And then the next morning, we recorded this podcast live outside. So you will hear some noises like a plane. There's a lot of wind. There's also a giant sheepadoodle that you will hear and you will hear us talking to the sheepadoodle. His name is Wally and he's seven months old. And I think he weighs like 75 or 80 pounds and he's not done growing yet. His paws are massive. They're about the size of my, like his front paws are about the size of my whole hand. And he's not done growing. So just know that that's why you're hearing some crazy sounds in the background is because we are recording live, which I truly enjoy doing. I think it's really fun and it feels like I hope that to you guys, it feels like, you know, we're all in the room hanging out together. Um, So I hope that you enjoy this conversation. We talk about a lot of different things from navigating the guilt from self-care. We talk about this pressure to perform. Both of us grew up going to very academic schools and we felt a lot of pressure to perform academically, but then that translates into other aspects of our life. We talk about Jordan's drive to do social justice work and how her work through 81 Cents is very mission-driven. We talk about her journey in starting 81 Cents, being an entrepreneur, over-committing yourself, what that feels like. We talk about, quote-unquote, the narrative and the stories we tell ourselves, and a lot about letting out emotions rather than keeping them all in your head. So I hope that you enjoy it. And I will talk to you all at the end. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> I'm excited too. I'm It'll so be nervous. so fun. We are sitting outside in Palm Desert, and there's a giant sheepadoodle who is seven months old sitting right next to us. So if you hear some sounds like chewing on some bark, or just now he just stood up and he's about five feet tall. So excuse the noises. You might hear some birds and some leaves blowing. Maybe some parents. Maybe some parents. (laughs) But I'm very excited to record this with you, Jordan. I'm very excited to do this with you as well, Marissa. After how many years have we known each other? Since we were nine. So 19. That's really crazy. (laughs) Okay. So Jordan and I have known each other since we were nine. And this is the first podcast we've ever recorded together, but I'm sure that there will be many more. Actually, 21 years. 21? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, we can't do math. JGD and Marlboro did not teach us very well. Um, So I wanted to start with a general question. What was a defining moment in your life? Like a big choice or a leap of faith that you had to take, a mistake that you learned something from, a heartache, big growth moments? There have been so many, which is awesome, and I am continuing to, I think, become more and more grateful for those moments. 
I think a big decision I had to make was um, actually very recently during the pandemic about like whether I was, so I guess for some context, for the past two years, I've been working pretty much full time on my startup, uh, which is 81 cents. And it's a salary negotiation platform for women and underrepresented minorities. And like many other businesses, we were impacted really um, heavily by the pandemic. And I had a lot of time on my hands to think. And I realized that I wasn't um, super happy doing that and that I had sort of put the company ahead of everything else in my life. And so I felt like I was faced with the decision of like, can I push through this and can I keep working on this company full time or is it time to kind of move on to something else? And it was a really hard decision because I felt like um, because of like the social mission of the company that I was going to be like letting people down if I didn't continue with it full time. And I also felt like I'd made a commitment to myself and to our customers and to all of the advisors and mentors who've believed in me. Um, and so it was really hard to think about, you know, disappointing totally. them by not going forward with that. Um, but yeah, I'd say that was like the biggest sort of decision I made recently. And I ended up deciding to keep the company going, but as like sort of a night and weekend kind of project and get something else full time that was a little more stable. So you're a founder and you have a full time job. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Which I think is amazing. You're basically a superhero. Um, but I'm curious if you felt like you tied your identity to 81 cents. And then when you were making that choice, did you feel like you had to untie it a bit? Yeah, totally. I mean, for two years, like every conversation I had pretty much, anytime I met someone new, really like so much of my experience in the world was tied to this company. And it was really scary to think about having that not be the case. Right. And I'm definitely the kind of person who I get a lot of validation from from my work. Right. And it is a huge part of my identity. And I love that it's a big part of my identity. And so it was really scary to think about kind of losing that. And there was one really interesting moment. You were actually there when we went um, backpacking in Yosemite and we met someone else on the trip. And they asked me what I did. And I just said like, oh, like I like work in tech. And yeah. then that was it. And then for the rest of the trip, like, we never talked about work again. And reflecting on that later, I realized, like, that was, like, the longest I'd gone in two years without talking about 81 wow. cents. It was the longest I'd gone without talking about work. And it was cool to be able to, like, show up and be a person and meet other people and have that not be, like, a huge part totally. of my identity. I know. I experienced that, too, on my four months off where – I mean, it was sort of awkward when people asked me what I was doing because I was like, well, I'm not working right now. Right. But it was an interesting exercise in like untying my identity to work because I feel like, I mean, even now I've gotten caught up in that again. Mm -hmm. But it's like we are so much more than our careers, even though that's like a big part of what we do. And also we spend the majority of our time working, which is yep. sort of unfortunate. But, um, yeah, it's just an interesting exercise to be present to having to untie work from your identity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And recognize that it is such a great part of who we are and also. <laughs> Wally just ate a piece of plastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, like, it can't be everything. Right. What other things have you learned are part of your identity now that you've like made space essentially. Yeah, it's interesting that um, 
even though like I think arguably I'm like busier than I've ever been because I added this like you know 40 to 60 hours a week job to my plate which I also want to hear about yeah. after. <laughs> I actually feel like way more balanced and like I do have a lot more time which is so interesting and kind of confusing and I think sometimes you know when you have only one thing in your life you can be like almost obsessive about it or um and also not super like efficient in the way you spend your time and I feel now I can be a lot more efficient but some of the other things that I've sort of oh he did the puppy just lied down <laughs> so cute um some of the other things I think that are important to me and that I've like added to my life are definitely I don't know whether you want to call it like civic engagement or activism or giving a fuck or something like that yeah. but I feel like you know because 81 cents is like a social impact oriented organization for the past two years like I didn't do any volunteering I've made very few donations I really like wasn't a super engaged member of my community because I sort of told myself like well like I'm doing this one thing that's really and that's important like, was full time right and so now I feel like I have a lot more time to like participate civically um, and get involved so that's been really really meaningful and something like I love doing and I know the election I mean the timing of that worked well like there were a lot of things to get involved in and we're also ha- recording this podcast the day after Biden and Harris won, yep, which is just so awesome. And Jordan worked on the campaign a lot and traveled to Arizona. So, I mean, huge, like, civic engagement in that way, which I just think is so cool. Yeah, it was really, really cool. And I think for me, um, I realized, like, I'm a very impatient person, and that can be an awesome quality, and it can be not an awesome quality sometimes. But I think for the purpose of the campaign it was great because there was just so much to do so much opportunity and if you were willing to like kind of show up and be a part of it um people were like the campaign was willing to accept that so yeah it was really cool and I had a chance to like you mentioned go to Arizona with my dad and my brother and we did poll observation and canvassing and met some really really interesting people along the way it's so awesome And kind of to just go back to what we were talking about before, about being more efficient and making time for things, do you feel like you've had an easier time practicing self-care? Because you have so many more things going on that I feel like self-care is even more important. Yeah, it's interesting. I know this is like something we've talked a lot about before, but I struggle, I still struggle with the idea of self-care. Like I think there's this core part of me that's like, that's indulgent and like there's so many other things to do and I don't need to practice self-care because like I'm privileged and I'm lucky and I have you know so many of my like basic needs met um but that is like a huge thing that I've added to my life I don't really have a name for it yet because I still struggle to name the word the phrase or word self-care and then I started calling it self-work and then I thought that was interesting (laughs) like why am I so willing to like add more work to my Mm. plate and sometimes I think like figuring out who you are and coming to peace with that like shouldn't be work right it should be an exercise of like taking things off and clearing things away to kind of get to the core of who you are totally um but I've whatever you want to call it self-care self-work reflection introspection that is definitely like a bigger part of my life now and I think that transition probably started about a year ago and it's so cool like I just feel like my eyes are opened and I'll like never be able to go back Yeah, I mean, we were having this conversation yesterday, I think it was, just about how, like, at the beginning of quarantine, so 
to give some context, Jordan and I at the beginning of quarantine started doing something called SWS, which stands for Self Work Sunday or Saturday. It depends on the day that we were available or just any day of the week. And we would do like an exercise together and talk about it for a couple hours. And it was super valuable. And in in between the times that we talked, we would just do our own self-work. But we were talking yesterday about how at the beginning, like neither of us really knew what we were doing necessarily and it was there was just an overwhelming amount of information and like we wanted to take it all in and it felt more like work in a sense but now that we we like know how to do it I feel like it's easier to make it feel there's a plane I'm hearing somewhere it it's easier to make it feel less like work and more like care I don't know if that's the right word but Yeah, I think that's a good way of describing it. I mean, there's just, like, so many different exercises you can do and journal prompts you can think about and books you can read and podcasts you can listen to and meditations you can do and all of these things. And it can feel daunting, and it's really easy to, like, let it become work. Right. Where you're like, okay, let me put on my to-do list. This week I yeah, want to like do these. Yeah, like in your calendar. <laughs> right. These, this week I want to do these four exercises or whatever. And I think that is a great way to get started, but also like sort of defeats the purpose because it's not necessarily about like forcing ourselves. Like sometimes you can't force right. like this like Or like checking it off. Right. Yeah. But it's interesting too because I feel like both of us like structure So there's this, like, fine line between being too rigid with something that should be more fluid. And I don't like to use the word should, you know? Yeah, I thought about that too. Yeah, but, like, the line between that, like, the rigidity of something where, like, if you have it in your calendar to do external exercise or whatever, and you wake up that morning and you just, like, really don't feel like doing it, you can either force yourself or you do something that like feels more aligned right which I mean I struggle with that a lot but because there's also like this guilt that comes from not only not doing the exercise because you're you want to do it for a specific purpose and you feel like you're not going to get out what you want to get out of it if you don't do it and then also like that commitment that you make to yourself right like what does that mean totally yeah, I mean, it's really easy to go down this long pathway of guilt and shame around all of this because it is, like, lucky to even have the time to do these kind of right. things. And then if we choose not to do them, what does that mean? And, right. You know, I think I really struggled, like, back in June when, you know, the, like, sort of national conversation or uprising around, like, systemic racism really came to the forefront. And I was, like, in the midst of all of this self-development work exercise kind of stuff and it was just so hard to like sit and think about like what are my like shadows and like where are my opportunities for growth and all of that when like there were just so many people out there who were yelling loudly and saying like we don't have our basic needs like we don't feel safe we don't feel secure and here I am like at the very top of Maslow's hierarchy going for like self-actualization totally and you know, I think at that time, like, there was a choice of, like, I can either, like, force myself to do this and feel, like, guilty, or I can, like, not do this and kind of get out there and, like, start making noise with people 
at sort of like the expense of some of this right. like, development. And so I think for me, it ultimately came back to like, I, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. Like I can spend, I do really believe like now more than ever that, you know, one of the best things we can do to like achieve like a peaceful world where like everyone respects each other is to like feel secure right. in ourselves. Yeah. At the same time, like met. you have to have your eyes open and see that like sometimes this is like bigger than you and you know sometimes the best thing you can do is just like get out there and be like a agent for change or you know whatever you want I feel like you struck a really good balance between that at that time at least I mean I know that you were super active and going to protests and using your voice in that way but I also feel like at the same time you did like really go inside and like go inside in terms of just thinking about like your own privilege generally even besides like this quote-unquote self-work mm-hmm. like shadow and like right. shame and right. vulnerability and like all of that stuff. Brene Brown yeah words. basically <laughs> Brene are you listening <laughs> that would so. be my dream Love you so much. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. There was, like, I was had this joke, I guess, with myself that, you know, I had this amazing knack to bring literally any topic of conversation back to, like, white privilege <laughs> or systemic racism. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it was, I think it was important to be kind of, like, overwhelmed by all of that and just really, like, wake up to how how privilege has just, like, played a role in, like, every part of my life, including this, like, next phase of, like, self-actualization. But, yeah, I mean, I think the balance, like, the most important part of the balance is, like, recognizing that it's not, um, like, a permanent moment. Like, it's always kind of shifting and it's always moving around and you have to, like, kind of let it go with it. And some weeks you're more active and other weeks you're less active and you just have to, like, not fall off the wagon right and like you have to make it sustainable right yeah um back to the guilt piece I'm like where do you think that comes from because it applies to me too where I feel guilty for caring for myself although I've gotten a lot like I've dealt with those feelings a lot more now than I used to whereas Mm -hmm. before I like feel like I wouldn't allow myself to practice self-care self-work or whatever yeah. you want it self-love yeah. whatever you want to say self fill in self the yeah <laughs> fill in x noun yeah. <laughs> it's like mad libs yeah. um but I just I'm curious where that comes from because when I look back like were we taught that as kids did our parents model that for us like I know my dad worked a ton but he would you know play tennis on the weekend or mm-hmm. he watches football and like watches the horse races and stuff like that but I don't know if we were like taught that that's an important thing to do yeah it's a great question I mean I don't remember there being any part of our like formal education that was really around like taking care of yourself and accessing your feelings and learning how to communicate your emotions and things like that um Yeah, I mean, my family, you know, like many, like, Jewish immigrants, you know, it's a story of coming to the U.S. with very little and building up from there. And super important to recognize that, like, no one stopped that building process. Like, there was just so much opportunity. But at the same time, like, my mom's parents did work 
you know, seven days a week. And I remember my grandfather always used to talk about how he would have to miss school on Fridays to go help out at his parents' store. And as a result, that was like the only, the only B he ever got was in PE where you were graded based on attendance and he would always miss Fridays. And so he couldn't get a perfect, he couldn't get an A. Um, and so, yeah, I felt like there were a lot of conversations in my family about the value of hard work. Right. And it's um, like that narrative of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Totally. Which we both know that that's like a false narrative, you know, the American meritocracy, but that was this similar with my family where it's, and I think mirrors the culture in this country of like, the more you work, the more successful you'll be. And I put successful in air quotes. Right. Because it's like, what does that mean? Yeah, totally. I think that's, that's very true. And, you know, then being the descendant of people who with quotes pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, you know, I felt like I had a lot of opportunity that my parents didn't have and my grandparents didn't have. And so then I felt this pressure to show them it was worth it. Right. You worked so hard mm. to give me this education. Like, like now let me go prove myself. Mm. Um, and I felt, yeah. And then I also think, you know, there's this idea that because opportunity was given to me that I needed to, to do something with it or it would be, a, it would be wasted on me. Right. Do you think And that, I created, I think I created that narrative. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there were little signals that encouraged it, but like at this point I realize I'm the only one that is subscribing to that. Totally. And like your parents are not pushing that on you. No, my parents are so supportive and like they just want, I mean, I really believe it. They just want me to be happy. Yeah. Which is amazing. And I believe that too with my parents also, but it's, it is interesting that we both put that pressure on ourselves. Mm-hmm. But a positive of that is at least in your case, and mine too, to an extent with like my, you know, desire to do a lot of pro bono work and everything and be involved in the community in different ways. But I feel like your career is governed by, what do you call it? Social active, not social activism, like corporate sustainability. I don't know what the like word is yeah, for it. There are a lot of buzzwords like social entrepreneurship mission-based work yeah whatever you want to call it um but yeah I mean I feel like you know one of and this is has a lot of inherent privilege in it too but I think because I have been able to live like a largely debt-free life and have this incredible education given to me you know I feel like now I have this obligation to like pay it forward and the best way for me to pay it forward is not you know, working at Goldman Sachs right. and making a million dollars a year. It's by using this education and, like, doing something with it and trying to create opportunity for others. And I always – I mean, one of, like, the core things I struggle with is, like, where can I create the most opportunity? How can I do it? And also, like, what if I like a certain kind of work? Right. And what if that doesn't – you know, I always struggle. Like, I think every few months I have this question of, you know, should I – leave the business and tech world and mm. go into the nonprofit world. And, oh, interesting. Um, you know, if I really have, like, all of this, if my, like, mandate is really about, like, how can I create the most opportunities for others and solve problems, then, like, am I doing the best job of that right mm. now? And, like, where does my own, like, happiness and, like, what I think is interesting, fulfilling work, where does that come into it? Do you think that you struggle with 
like you're in the business and tech world and there's reasons for that based on yourself and what feels good to you and what lights you up. But then there's also these other societal pressures about being in a certain world mm-hmm. and what that means in terms of whether or not you're successful. Do you think that that plays a role in your decision to like stay in that world? Like the like knowing whether or not you're in it because of reasons for yourself or whether you're in it because of other societal pressures, essentially. Yeah, it's so hard to know because I think sometimes like conditioning can really make its way into your core. And so it's kind of hard to know at this point. And there's also this idea that you like what you're good at and you're good at what you like. Right. And they sort of feed off of each other. And at this point, like the bulk of my work experience has been in the business world and has been in like the early stage startup world. And so I know what that is. It's familiar to me it's like even though it's chaotic it feels kind of safe because I've just like had a few goes with it um and you're good at it yeah and I'm good at it or good enough at it and there's things about it that you do like yeah totally no the energy that you get um when you like build a product that people like or seeing you know like investing all of this time and energy and then like seeing it turn into something like I love the pace of it I mean there's super smart people there's so much to learn Um, I love those parts of it. And I love the idea that, like, if you, that there are ways to make it feel, like, more, like, mission-oriented. Like 81 Cents. Like 81 Cents. What was your motivation for starting 81 Cents? Like, what gave you the idea? Yeah, I think, um, well, so I had, like, a experience with negotiation early in my career that was pretty difficult, I got a job at an early stage startup and the uh, job description said that they were going to pay a certain amount. And then I got the offer and it was $10,000 lower than that amount. Oh, wow. Um, And I was so angry. Like, I really felt not valued and like, I don't know, money is so, so emotional for people. And so I was really upset. And so I went to negotiate and I ended up being able to like negotiate some of it back, but it was just like a really stressful anxiety inducing experience also there was equity or stock that was part of the offer and I was so angry about like this ten thousand dollar gap that I just like ignored this whole other piece of it that ended up like it could have been really really meaningful hmm. if I had like been a little bit more like logical about it and a little bit less emotional but I really felt like just really insulted and um, after that experience, like, I was just like, that, I don't want that to happen again. That didn't feel good. And why did I feel so junior and young? And I just felt, like, really insecure. And um, I just started thinking more about negotiating and started reading some books about it and, like, talking to smart people in my life. I ended up talking to, like, I ended up joining that company and I had a great experience there, which is pretty right. funny despite that experience. <laughs> or because of that experience. Um, But I just started learning more about the space. And then as friends would navigate tough work situations, like I always really like to talk it through with them. Wally's saying hello. (laughs) He just sat down and he's surveying the territory. Um, But yeah, then I was like in a place a few years later where I was looking to start something And I just kind of kept coming back to that problem. And around the same time, a friend reached out to talk through a tough work situation. And 
like, we got off the phone and I was like, that, you know, of all the research I've done, of all of, like, the little pilots I've started over the past few months, like, that was one of the more, like, meaningful work experiences I've had. And so then I just sort of went all in on that space. And I started posting in Facebook groups of, like, women in tech because that was sort of my background. And And there's a lot of pay inequity. There's a ton of pay inequity. And so I just started posting in these groups saying, like, hey, like, if you're ever negotiating and you want help, let me know. Like, I'll just, I'll try to help you. And it's free, you know, like, you don't have to pay me. Like, I'm just trying to learn about this space and see if I can be useful. And I was overwhelmed by, like, inquiries. I mean, it just turns out. How many did you get? I think 45. Oh, wow. From Um, people that you didn't know or weren't connected to? No, just random people on Facebook. And I just ended up having all of these calls with people and the stories I heard of, like, you know, these really accomplished product managers and engineers and marketers and these like people with like 10 15 20 years of work experience who are so capable and so like accomplished just feeling so insecure and it was the exact feeling I'd had at that tough negotiation um and so that was sort of the moment where I was like this there's something here and there's like there's no reason why people should feel this way that's so interesting and I love that that was just born out of your own experience, too. And it's so interesting how their feelings mirrored your own. Totally. Do you think that that is a problem that's unique to women? I mean, definitely one of the things I've learned over the past three years of working on 81 Cents is that it's not just women. Um, It's a very intersectional kind of problem. And, I mean, really, to be frank, like, the whole idea of negotiation is just super broken And if you take race and gender and age and all of these other factors off the table, like the majority of people hate this experience and are uncomfortable with it and wish they had more information. And there's just so much power that's given to companies. So I actually think it's like sort of a broader problem with capitalism and like the way we think about hiring in this, in the world really. And just the imbalance of power. Right. Um, But I would say that like this idea of feeling insecure not confident feeling guilty for asking Mm. I don't think that's unique to women I think a lot of people of color men women non-binary individuals also struggle with this right and can you talk about like why you named it 81 cents I love the name thank you and this wind is wild right now feels good (laughs) does feel good I hope that gets picked up it does (laughs) um I named it 81 cents because that number represents how much women earn on the dollar um, compared to like the average non-Hispanic white male. And it's funny because there could be like a, there are so many different numbers I could have named it. I mean, like I mentioned, like I think just focusing on gender is, is too simplistic and I've thought many times over about changing the name. Hmm, Um, Interesting. I think when I've gone through that exercise, it's like, what stat do I pick? Right. Like, there just, there isn't, like, one number to summarize how unfair things are. It's really, it really should be, like, anything less than a dollar. Like, those are the people we're trying to help. Anyone who's not earning what someone else who's doing the same job is earning. Like, that's really what I want to call it. But, you know, that's a little bit wordy. Um, <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> but I think, like, what I hope 81 cents becomes, comes to represent is that idea of, of gaps and the idea that people are doing, you know, like, 
people aren't getting equal pay for equal work and it's fucked up yeah definitely and I know you've had to I don't know if pivot is the right word but you've sort of had to restructure it a little bit since you are now working full-time at a different company which I want to hear about what you're doing there too but first I'd love to hear about how like what does 81 cents look like now yeah so the problems I set out to solve are still the same, which is that one, data is incredibly important in a negotiation and there is really no great data source for candidates. Companies largely spend five, 10, 15, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year um, and they have all of this amazing comp data. And candidates have nothing. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> I think it's cute. Can you sit sit. down? Good boy. So candidates have nothing. Candidates have nothing. And that just creates so much, like, inequity in the conversation. Like, you know, a candidate will bring a number and a company will say, like, sorry, our data looks different. But they won't share their data. Of course. Or they'll say, oh, like, Glassdoor told me this, that, that. And they'll just be like, Glassdoor is not accurate. Hmm. And so it's really hard for both like candidates to make a persuasive argument but then also like not having great data impacts your own confidence and that was the second problem I wanted to solve which is like you may have like an instinct or a feeling that the offer is too low but having like 10 incredible data points that you know are accurate really transforms like how you ask and how confident you feel in that in that ask and so those are the challenges that 81 cents tries to solve and the way we do that is by recognizing that like we all have the information that that we need. So, you know, there's no better way to figure out if you're being unpaid, like let's say you're a software engineer, there's no better way to figure it out than by talking to other software engineers who are doing similar work or who hire people who are doing your kind of work. And so that's what 81 cents does, is we've built this network of, at this point, it's like 2,700 advisors who are, you know, senior individuals in tech, hiring managers, recruiters, we have like VPs at most of the major tech companies. And they give people guidance um, as they go through the negotiation process. And so that's still what we do today. It's what we've done for a long time, and it's what we've continued to do. But I've certainly had to think about, like, how can we make our work more scalable, more sustainable, um, given that, like, I'm not 100% on it anymore. And I know you've created a library of data. Yes. Which I think is so cool. And it's on Notion, which is like the coolest program ever. And Jordan introduced it to me because yeah. she introduces all like cool tech things that lawyers don't know about. Yes. <laughs> You're always the best person to share those things with because I know you won't have seen them. Yeah. And, and I get so excited. Get very excited about them. Um, so yeah, we've, we've done two things so far to like try to um, – increase access to sort of this information or intelligence that we've collected. And one is we built this resource library, which is basically like a compilation of all of our best practices, learnings from building the company. And um, it's like community maintained. So so people have continued to add to it or have commented on it when they see things that they feel like aren't totally representative. Um, people have like sent us the scripts they've used for their own negotiations and we've kind of uploaded them so you can go and get access to that and then we're still working on like a massive database of all of the data we've collected and that's turned out to be a little more like complex than we anticipated but I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to roll that out in the next few months and then anyone will be able to come and kind of 
access that wisdom of the crowd, so to yeah, speak. That's and then awesome. the other thing that we're working on and focus is not always my strong suit with 81 cents because I just there's just so much cool stuff we could do. But we're also working on a scholarship program um, to make sure that Wally to make sure that people who need access to our support who can't afford it um, can access it. And we already do a good number of scholarships right now, but we don't have like a formal program for it. And so one of my best friends is actually helping me put that together. Which That's I'm really awesome. About. So cool. And all, I'm going to link to all of the cool. stuff we're talking about. Yeah. Um, now I want to hear about what you're doing, what your 40 to 60 hour a week <laughs> job is. <laughs> yeah. So that's been really, really awesome. Um, and very much a direct result of, of 81 cents in my work there because I would have never been able to get this sort of opportunity without that. Um, but my title is sort of a funny made-up title called Entrepreneur in Residence. I love it. Or EIR. And I'm basically working at an education tech company helping them build out new products. And the name of the company is Magoosh. They've been around for about 10 years. And they're one of my favorite kinds of startups in that they raised a little bit of capital um, early on, but they've largely been profitable since then. Um, and so they really like are able to control their own destiny. So I could go into like a lot of probably boring detail for people about the role of venture capital in tech and how it can um, sort of like dilute from like the mission or impact of a company. Right, because you give away part of the company to the right. VC. And then you set expectations around growth. And right. because Magoosh, the founders and the team largely own the company, they're able to have a lot more control over like the kinds of work they do. Um, but at the same time, they've scaled a ton. Like they have over a hundred thousand customers a year. Oh wow! So it's not like a small side business. Yeah, it's a hundred person company. Wally, come here. Um, anyways, so it's a really really cool opportunity to get to build something with more resources um, and more support than I've had building eighty one cents. Wally is currently standing on top of Jordan, <laughs> and he's as tall as her, and he's just trying to eat her face basically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's awesome, and I know that the founder is a mentor for you. Yes, so that was the founder has been one of my mentors for the past few years, um, and was very much helpful in building 81 cents and was one of the people I loved talking to the most and so when I sort of going back to our first part of the conversation about a tough decision when I was making that decision he was one of the people I talked it through with um, and you know very lucky that there happened to be this opportunity with his company yeah. and very cool that you know he knew exactly who I was and how I worked and so I feel like I've really been able to like be myself in this role and we already had a great working relationship, which, you know, for anyone starting a job during the pandemic, like you and yeah. so many others, um, it can be really hard to build those relationships. Definitely. So having that relationship already was super helpful. And he's so supportive of you continuing to work on 81 cents, yeah. which is obviously really important to you. Yeah, that was like a big part of, you know, the conversation before I joined was like letting him know that this is going to be something I continue to do. And he's been super supportive of that and has continued to mentor me. Okay, something else that I wanted to talk about, which may tie into what we've talked about before, is do you remember a moment where you've very intentionally chosen to be true to yourself, even if it made someone else disappointed? 
That's such a good question. And and it can be something small. It doesn't have to be, like, you know, something life-changing necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I've thought so much about this lately, I think, as part of my self-development or, again, whatever we're calling it. Um, I really like this idea that you should, like, disappoint others before you disappoint yourself. Glennon Doyle, shout out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, I think I've, like, my friends, like, make fun of me for this, but, um, you know, I tend to, like, my life, I fill my life up with, like, a lot of, like, activities and social engagements and things like that, and sometimes I feel like I'm just, like, running between them and committing to things because someone asked me to, Right. and I think lately I've I've gotten a little bit better at being, like, you know, I don't. I actually don't want to spend my Saturday, this is more of an L.A. reference for people who live there, but, like, I don't want to drive from West Hollywood to the west side to the east side back to the west side. (laughs) And, like, I don't know that I've ever done something that is that extreme because that is just a dumb amount of driving to do, but, like, I've definitely put myself in positions where, you know, I'm hanging out with people for 30 minutes and then going on to the next thing. Right. And then going on to the next thing and going on to the next thing. Same. Lately, I think I've been a lot better at being better at or I've just been better at saying like you know what no I'm not I'm not gonna do that I'd love to hang out but I just can't how do you know when you need to say no like what feelings come up in your body that's a really good question I think definitely when I commit to something and then immediately feel angst after Hmm. that's usually an indication that that wasn't the right call to make and so I used to feel really badly about, like, going back on my word. Right. Um, But sometimes now I'll say yes and then immediately realize I should have said no and then just reach out and say, like, I'm so sorry. I actually just can't make that work. Right. Um, So that's, like, sort of a after-the-fact indicator. Before, I think, um, if I find my my thoughts kind of, like, swirling and I feel like I'm sort of playing, like, Jenga with my life Mm -hmm. of, like, how am I going to fit all of these things in? Or maybe... There's a better analogy than Jenga. Um, like Tetris. Tetris. That's a good Jenga's one. Jenga's pretty good, though. But yeah. Jenga's like taking Pulling things, things out. out. And then balancing them. Yeah. Which that's, that's maybe also the, a good analogy. Yeah, maybe that's what to aim for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm moving from Tetris to Jenga. I love Jenga. Um, I think when I feel like I'm playing Tetris and like haven't kind of checked in with myself mm-hmm. for a bit, then that's like a good indication, too. Or sometimes now I'll just force myself to take longer before responding like you know right sometimes you think about it kind of accepting that sometimes I don't know if I'm going to be able to make something work and I'm obviously not going to take days and days and have other people's plans like imbalanced because of that or uncertain but like I don't have to respond within 30 seconds I can take two hours yeah that's okay and it's better to like take two hours and then be able to respond confidently than to respond right away and have to like wheel it back roll it back it's interesting because like there's so much self-awareness that has to happen to get to that place Mm -hmm. and I struggle a lot with making a plan and then going back on the plan basically say I'm gonna do something and then not doing it sit down and I mean it just goes back to the whole theme of like not disappointing yourself like disappointing other people before you disappoint yourself but there's so much self-awareness that has to happen even like after the fact of making a plan and being aware of your own 
angst and like sort of feeling like this sense of overwhelm and <laughs> Wally is again jumping on top of Jordan <laughs> I wish that part of this was a video and I could just like impart the video into all of your brains so yeah. you could see how giant Wally is <laughs> I know we're in like such a peaceful environment being attacked by a sheep -a doodle <laughs> by a 75 pound puppy who's okay. seven months old <laughs> okay but how do you think that you, thinking about that, the self-awareness that has to happen, I mean, you like can't have those realizations unless you're self-aware. Mm -hmm. So what did that process look like for you to become as self-aware as you are? And then where do you feel like there's still some holes? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think I think that for me, honestly, like reading Brene Brown has been a huge part of that self-awareness. I remember being in Charleston on a trip in like 2016, early 2017, and having like a lot of downtime there to read and reading The Gifts of Imperfection. So good. So good. And just like every two pages, I would be like, literally say out loud, like, what? Like, oh my God. I just couldn't believe that these thoughts I'd had, like my whole life, that one, like other people had them too. And that like someone could put them into words and like right. really describe like what it was I was feeling. And I think that was my first moment of being like, oh, like my mind is not always, doesn't always know what's best for me and right. isn't, doesn't always have my best interest. And there are just like the way I can control, you know, the work I do or if I work out or if I'm a good friend or if I remember to send a birthday card or, you know, whatever it is. Totally. I can also like think about controlling or managing like the way I think. And I think that was the first moment. And then from there, it's been, you know, a windy process of like understanding more about my thoughts um, and that they're not always like working in my best interest. So I think that was kind of like the first moment. And I think in terms of my gaps now, it's I'm really trying to get more into like positive psychology and think about like how do I reframe certain stories mm. that I tell myself. The um, narrative. The narrative. And like I'm really into trying to like catch the narrative and be almost like curious or amused by it. Right. Instead of being like, oh, like I did it again. I'm negative again. Whatever. And then you get caught up in the narrative. Right. Either believing the narrative or being mad at myself for having that narrative. Now I'm sort of into like being amused by the narrative right. and being like impressed by like all the crazy things <laughs> my mind can do. And then sort of choosing to think like, okay, what are a couple other narratives that this could have, yeah. could be? You're so good at being aware of the narrative. And I love when you tell me about some crazy narrative that you had and like your <laughs> awareness of it and then how you reframe it. I'm trying, do you have an example of one? I mean, you don't have to like, you know, go into one that's too too intense and crazy, but. I mean, I think the funniest one is recently a friend um, like went on a first date with a guy I know through my ex-boyfriend and she told me about it, you know, <laughs> and my mind immediately like went to this very clear image of the future where they are getting married 
and I'm signing the ketubah. <laughs> and my ex-boyfriend was also signing the ketubah for his friend. I don't even know if that's how ketubah signing works, but I was like two seconds after she told me that's where I am. And I just caught myself, and I just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Like, why the ketubah? Like, I don't even know what a ketubah <laughs> looks like or how the signing process works. And, and there's, like, so many other moments that your mind could have jumped to also. Yeah, and, like, they went on and, a first date, and right. I, she said, it was fun. Like, nothing more than that. And immediately I'm, like, one, making it about myself, and two, just, like, going, like, several years into the future at minimum. Um, and so that was like a really funny one to me. And I think in the past I might've like called myself crazy or made myself feel really badly about that. But instead I just like chose to be amused and then chose to like kind of walk myself back. And I think that it's so important too, because it's like that. Sorry, we're dealing with a dog bone issue. It's so important because it's almost like you gave yourself permission to have the narrative because it's a natural thing for our human weird brains to do. And that's like, there's beauty in that. Also, the fact that our brains are capable of doing that is like a very uniquely human thing, at least as far as we know of who knows, maybe Wally is like having these narratives in his mind right now about why he doesn't want to sit and eat this bone that we gave him. But I think that it's a very beautiful thing to recognize that you did give that you are giving yourself permission to have the narrative, but then you're viewing it with objectivity, you know, from the outside and you're not like in it to the extent that it just dominates your decisions and your life. Totally. Yeah, I think that is like very key. Like the first thing is the awareness of the narrative. And then once you're aware, sometimes it can be easy to get mad at yourself because you can't really get mad at yourself if you're not aware of it. Right. So it almost like that awareness can take you to a little bit of a dark place sometimes. And then the next step is, okay, like how do I accept that that's the narrative I chose? Yeah. And then maybe consciously choose a different one. Right. And like accept the fact that you had a narrative rather than like being angry at yourself for even having a narrative. Right. Because I think it's easy and like society tells us to just like, brush things off like I've that's how I used to govern my life if something bothered me I would just convince myself that it wasn't a big deal right and I would like act nonchalantly about something that actually did bother me but that's just completely unrealistic and ends up in like you know you're just suppressing your emotions rather than if you let it out whether it's a narrative or a feeling or an emotion it it will come out of your body. It'll come out of your brain and like, you'll be able to return to yourself. Totally. Sometimes things get real scary when you keep them in your head and just saying them out loud or writing them down can like take away a lot of power from them. Totally. That's like that exercise of like noting. Right. Um, which is kind of part of meditation where you just note the feeling that you're experiencing and it does reduce the power so much. Right. One other question that you know is along the same lines as this is what practices do you incorporate into your life to practice that self-awareness and authenticity yeah I think 
I've been trying to get more in touch with like my inner intuition and gut feeling and wisdom and all of that. And I think one of the things I've am good at doing is not like trusting myself. Um, I find it easier to trust others. And I've definitely been in situations in my life where I've like looked to other people to help me answer big questions. Yeah. And I think there have been like a couple of moments in recent history where like I've consciously chosen to like not invite other people into that process. And that's been really cool and like um affirming or validating so I try to like check in with myself about that like kind of like every day or multiple times a day of like what do I actually want to do in this moment yeah um and that's been kind of cool and often that's just like getting quiet and sometimes the answer flows up and sometimes it doesn't and then it's like all right I'll just keep going and like maybe it'll get answered later um so that's one thing I try to do I actually recently realized that meditation isn't really my thing like there are better ways for me to like calm myself Mm -hmm. and find inner peace if that's what you want to call it or if that's what we're all looking for which I think we are (laughs) um so for me the couple things I do are like I go on drives and I listen to music and I listen to music really loud and level 19 level 19 (laughs) or above and uh that's been really great and calming for me And then the other thing is just, like, trying to go on walks. And sometimes I'll, like, try to leave my phone at home and just kind of go walk a couple blocks. And that can be a really nice way for me to to be present. Right. So those are some of the things I do. And then I don't know if gratitude – like, I write down things I'm grateful for every day. And I don't know if I feel better because I do that or if it makes me feel authentic. But I know that there's literally nothing that's harmful about that process. So that's it's interesting with gratitude because I do the same thing where I write down something I'm grateful for like every night before I go to sleep and sometimes it feels forced and I've been more aware of how it feels forced like because I have this five-year journal where I write down it's like each page has five different spaces and you write the year like in the corner of each space so I've been doing it for a year so I can see what I wrote this day a year ago that's so cool which is really cool but also just really interesting because I was in such a different place last year at this time and you know just this whole year a year ago and I remember when I read what I had written a year ago I remember the feeling when I was writing whatever it was a year ago, a feeling like I was a fraud in writing it. And like whether it was about my relationship at the time or something happening at work or like a lot of it had to do with body image stuff and like food, you know, being overly restrictive with my food. And I wasn't aware of the feeling at the time that I felt like a fraud But I remember at the time it was almost like, okay, well, if I write this, it'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy and I will actually feel like good about whatever I'm writing about. But now I'm aware of that feeling of like this kind of feels fraudulent. But sometimes that comes up now when I'm – it almost – like a couple times it like feels almost forced where it's like I'm just choosing something I'm grateful for to – write it down in this journal Mm -hmm. and I think that awareness has helped me then I take I go like a step further and I think about like okay why am I actually grateful for this right and sometimes it's as simple as like my breath 
you know, why am I actually grateful for my breath? Well, because I'm alive and right. it like helps me tune into my to my own body and like the feelings in my body or like like I wrote the other day that I'm like just grateful to be in Palm Desert with you and it's like it it for the awareness of it feeling like I was just writing something to write forced me to think about the reasons why yeah um but I know we were also talking about yesterday on our hike about how gratitude can just help like reframe certain experiences to like feel grateful for an experience that may feel really negative mm-hmm. um but I don't necessarily write those down yeah <laughs> at night it can be hard to like sometimes time and space is like one of the best things to help right. you reflect on something that doesn't feel as good um but yeah I, I can definitely relate to having those like moments with gratitude where I'm like I know I should be grateful for this and like obviously I have a million things to be grateful for um and then I can feel like badly when I don't feel super naturally grateful and for me I just try to go back to like the basics of like okay how do I feel right now I'm like oh this chair is comfortable right all right cool or like my sweatshirt is really soft (laughs) it is very soft okay I want to ask you some quick fire questions okay which I ask everybody at the end I love this part of your podcast (laughs) thanks I was inspired to do this by other podcasts because I always am like so curious what people's answers are like I think Brene Brown's podcast she asks what vulnerability feels to you a lot of people say scary which I just I just love that because that's probably what I would say but okay so these are mine Maybe not as insightful as Brene Brown's because nothing I say is, but not giving myself enough credit. (laughs) Okay, the first one. What book are you reading right now? Right now, I'm reading two books. Well, I'm listening to Just Mercy, um, which is an amazing book by Brian Stevenson about um, his work to help people who are facing the death penalty He's an incredible lawyer who started the Equal Justice Initiative. Yeah, he's amazing. And if you read the book, I recommend listening to it on audiobook because he narrates it. Oh, cool. Um, and then I'm also reading a book called – oh, my God, I'm reading three books. <laughs> reading a you book sound like me. <laughs> called I think it's called, like, Why Smart People Should Build Things, and it's Andrew Yang's, the former presidential candidate, um, his book about, like – entrepreneurship and what it can do for the country and then I'm also reading a book called you should have told us or you should have told me something like that and it's about like objectivity and how to get make space from your thoughts awesome what was the last meal you had the last meal I had was with you we shared it and we made um, Italian wedding soup because we were cold and also (laughs) wanted to celebrate the election being over and the first female vice president-elect and the first woman of color vice president-elect and the first person of color vice president-elect and the first child of immigrants vice president-elect and um we wanted to celebrate and we decided that italian wedding soup really was (laughs) befitting we were on a hike yesterday in joshua tree and we had found out about the election results five minutes before service went out so we were celebrating on the like just along the hike we were talking about it but at the bottom we like hiked down to this 
desert oasis with some like cool palm trees and we both were like what should we have for dinner and both of us described I think Jordan said soup and then I said like a hearty soup or like another like thinner soup with something some sides but then both of us wanted soup with some sort of like meat in it (laughs) and we were very aligned on like having meatballs in the soup which is just such a weird thing to be in the mood for but it came out really well it did come out really well (laughs) when you imagine your happy place where is it Ooh, that's a really good question um there's this one chair in at my parents house that i feel so comfortable in and I've spent a ton of time like probably like hundreds of hours in this chair (laughs) so that's I think my happy place I love that if you could speak to yourself 15 years ago with the knowledge that you have now what would you say don't drink Malibu rum just joking (laughs) yeah I would save myself from a lot of dumb drinking things um no I think I would just say like oh my gosh, you don't know, like, how much good stuff is yet to come, and just, like, chill out, like, I think I would try to teach myself how to be more present, maybe, um, and I would just be kind to myself. I love that, and since we've been talking so much about being undefined, per the name of the podcast, what definitions do you feel are true to you? Hmm. What is a definition? <laughs> like adjectives to describe me? Mm-hmm. Or I... things you subscribe to, qualities mm. or values. Cool. I like that. I've always really struggled with that exercise of like, what are my values and who am I and all of that. <laughs> While he just bumped his head against the wall. Um, I think for me, um, hardworking kind, being empathetic, um, like meeting yourself and others where they are, and just like things are always changing and you're, however you feel right now is not how you'll feel in the future. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you, Jordan. This was amazing. And I'm just like so grateful for your... I'm grateful for you too, Wally. But I'm so grateful for your friendship. And just like I love you so much. I love you so much too. And this was really cool. This and I'm so, so proud cool. of you. Thank you. Hello again. I hope that you loved that conversation. And I hope it felt like, you know, we were all just hanging. That was the goal. And thank you all so much for listening. I will put some links in the show notes, including links to Jordan's social media, to 81 cents, and to the other things that we talked about today, or I guess a couple weeks ago. Um, And the other thing I just wanted to encourage everyone to do is to stay active and stay involved politically or in your community, really whatever that means to you. But it's super, super important to just stay involved and be active and put yourself out there. I know that going inward is also just as important, but I think when you strike a balance between the two, that's when true change can happen in the world. 
and it's really, really needed right now. There's a lot of divisiveness in this country, regardless of what side you're on. There's just a lot of separateness, and we really need to bring people together, and that is through love and hopefully through conversations like this one, like ones that you have on the street with people you don't even know. But basically, stay active, stay hopeful, and hopefully we will all, you know, come out of this as better people and better humans. And that's the goal is to just become a better human because our life experiences are very, very uniquely human. And that, to me, is pretty cool and something to be grateful for. So that is my rant for the day. I really appreciate all of you listening. Take a look at the show notes. Also, please subscribe and download the podcast. I learned that apparently that helps with my stats. Not that I'm quite sure what my stats mean, but apparently it's helpful when you actually download rather than like stream it. So rate and review, download, and thank you all for your support. I love all of you.